Good morning. How are you guys doing? There's like two of you out there right now saying you're doing good. That's great. That's great. Yeah. One of them's, and Josh Manon is one of them for sure. As always, guys, it's, uh, it's awesome to be here today. And how about Shane and Elsie in the band today? Did they not do a killer, killer job today? We are blessed as a church with some really amazing, amazingly talented people. There's no reason a church of 200 people should have the kind of talent that this church has. Um, it, is, it is phenomenal. I hope we never take that for granted. Um, it's pretty awesome that we get to be in a church like this. God's good. Amen? Why don't we pray real quick and then we're going to get into the message this morning. Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for the opportunity we have right now to come before you to honor you in our worship, to honor you with our voices and with our hearts. And now, God, as we seek uh, what you have for us to learn today, I, Father, Father, I just pray that you speak through me and, and that we're able to learn more about what it means to have faith when the odds are just completely against us, God. Father, I love you. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. This morning, our preacher, senior pastor, lead minister, great-grand pope, David Kibler, is in India. And uh, there's a picture of him right here. Uh, he's up there. That is Reuben, and that is Ravi. And then if you notice over here, there's this little guy preaching. That's Sam. He actually preached today for church, which is pretty stinking awesome. And uh, it's just really cool. They're over there right now training church planters to go into all of Asia and share the gospel and plant new churches. And uh, many of these churches that are being planted are in hostile environments where Christ is not accepted and the local governments and other religions of the area are fighting violently to keep them out of the culture. And I'm going to pull up a picture. It's, I'm not going to be able to show it to you guys because I literally just got this <clears throat> just a few minutes ago from Dave. But I want to read you something that he texted to the staff just literally minutes ago. He says, the situation here is worse than I thought. The pastors here tell me that it's safer for me to go to Pakistan now than it is to go to India. I was scheduled to speak at a national youth conference, but they've canceled that because they've received many threats of violence. They threatened to video me, send it to the authorities who would then revoke my visa and expel me from the country, resulting in a lifetime ban. He said, I'm speaking tonight, but unlike other years, they have done no advertising of me speaking. I'm not at all concerned for my safety. No threats or anything have been made, and the people are so kind. It's people from out of town that have threatened. But there's no doubt in my mind that God is refining his church here in India. He's also refining me. I'm finding out whether or not I truly believe what I've been preaching this series. Faith in the face of a huge cost. Faith when the path doesn't make sense. And then in true Dave fashion, he ends that by saying, it's awesome. That's what Dave is doing right now. And in spite of all of this stuff that they deal with in their culture, they continue on. In spite of violent persecution, and let me tell you, it is violent persecution. In spite of imprisonment, in spite of being cast out of their families, these men and these women, they continue on. Their faith actually grows stronger in the midst of these incredible odds. And because of their faithfulness, literally thousands of churches have been planted. And even more, thousands of people have given their lives to Christ and now have a hope that no persecution can take away. So when I was given the sermon title that I was supposed to preach on today, it was Faith When the Odds Are Against You. Faith When the Odds Are Against You. And all I could think was, what does your faith look like 
when things are not in your favor. And oddly enough, you're going to be surprised by this, it brought me to backpacking. <laughs> Again, you're surprised, right? Um, the reason it brings me to backpacking is because you ask anybody who goes on their very first backpacking trip, Ian and Sarah, and they bring way more stuff than they need to bring with them when they go out on the trail. You, they, you always bring way more clothes than you're ever going to wear. You're bringing like an outfit a day for a backpacking trip. Guys, when you go backpacking, I don't know if you knew this, you smell bad. No amount of new clothes you put on is going to make you smell good. So don't bring a bunch of clothes. That's just adding weight. I brought so much food, more food than any human being, even myself, could possibly eat in a given two or three day span. And I would load up on water because, you know, after two hours, I might dehydrate. Um, but I brought all this stuff because I needed the security of stuff so that I would survive when I was out on the trail. I, truth is, I, I had no experience, so I didn't know how to trust the situation. And because of my lack of trust, the weight that I had to carry was way more than it needed to be. And that weight made my adventure so much more difficult than it needed to be. Now, if you have a Bible with you today, I want you to go ahead and look in the back of your bulletin. And there are two large scriptures that are on the top of the outline. I want you to just go ahead and bookmark those and stay there for the rest of the time. And if you're using some kind of a smart device, a phone or a tablet, if you've got the Bible app, go ahead and open that up and go down to the More tab on the bottom right-hand corner of the app. Click on that. Click on Events. And you should see the sermon title pop up right there on that screen. Just click on that and you'll be able to keep up with me the whole time. And uh, you'll be able to follow along with scripture and everything. Um, but our main thing today is faith removes the need for security. I know that may seem extreme to some of you, but I promise if you stick with me, we'll get there together. I want to do something a little different today. Um, I'm just going to tell you three stories, three different stories. The first story is from the Bible. The second story is about me. And the third story is about us. Three different stories, but oddly enough, they're all the same. The first story comes from Joshua, chapters 5 and 6. And this is a legendary story that, that people, even outside of the church, have heard uh, the, the time trumpets and screaming knock down city walls. So we're going to start reading in chapter 5, verse 13 of Joshua. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. <clears throat> Sorry about that. The story starts off with Joshua being approached by what many biblical scholars would say is an angel in the Lord's army, and not just any angel, but one who claims to be the commander of the Lord's army. He's standing there sword drawn, and Joshua, who was the leader of the Israelite people, bows in respect for this commander's rank. He knows as a soldier he's about to receive his orders, and this is where the bomb gets dropped. We read that the Lord himself tells Joshua that he has delivered Jericho into his hands. 
And here's where we find out that Joshua was called. To understand how great of a challenge this represented, you have to understand what the walls of Jericho would have looked like. After doing some research, I found that the walls of Jericho were just that, two walls. Check this out up here. On that bottom end, you can see a retaining wall. All that dirt on the bottom, there's a retaining wall and another wall above that. The retaining wall was about 12 to 15 feet high. At the crest of that embankment was a similar mud brick wall that was about 20 to 26 feet high and 6 feet thick. At the crest of the embankment, in other words, that top wall, uh, there was another similar mud brick wall, another 20 to 26 foot mud brick wall up there. At the crest... um, it was about 46 feet up, where you see the bottom of that top wall was about 46 feet from the bottom of what that what says revetment wall on this. So you can imagine just looking up at that. You're looking 70 feet up to the top of the top wall. This is what Joshua was to go against. Many armies already had tried and failed. And humanly speaking... It was impossible for the Israelites to penetrate the impregnable wall of Jericho. Now, I can only imagine what Jer- Jericho was, or, uh, Joshua was thinking right now. God, I can't do this. This is beyond crazy. However, God continues with his instructions, and he says, March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear him, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give out a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Okay, so let's get this straight. We're going to walk around this wall for six days and each day we're just going to leave. Then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around this wall seven times then we're gonna get all loud and crazy and these walls are just gonna fall down these are the commit this is the command god literally said this is what's gonna happen and i want you to do this i mean we could see in this situation that joshua was called but that calling didn't make sense and it seemed impossible the funny thing was for us we'd probably hear that and think what in the world But Joshua didn't blink. He didn't even think twice about it. As we read on, Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark on the covenant of the Lord, or take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed men marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Now, I want you to imagine you're the people of Jericho. Can you imagine how confused they were? I mean, so many people had tried to take down the walls, and nobody could succeed. Jericho was famous for their defense. So here comes this army, and they're walking in a circle. One time, 
blowing some trumpets and they walk away. They just leave. Can you imagine how confusing that was? Just to wake up one day, you hear these trumpets, you look outside, and there's just people walking around, and they, they just leave. I mean, do they, do they think the walls are just going to fall down? <laughs> hmm. I mean, these guys were in for a shock, right? See, on the seventh day, well, actually, let's, let's go back. <laughs> Joshua got up early the next morning. And the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord, blowing their trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. And they did this for six days. So at this point, I would have to think that the people of Jericho are kind of laughing. Like, this is the most ridiculous thing we've ever seen. They probably got their kids up each day to watch the parade. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, here's this army, and they're doing nothing. Nothing. But like I said before, they're in for a shock. Because on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. Longer parade. Um... The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Now this is the part where it feels kind of like a Braveheart or Gladiator, Independence Day, or just insert your favorite classic movie battle scene kind of moment. Now the soldier's adrenaline is starting to pick up and it's starting to rush. Seven straight days of just marching... And now they get to go to battle. And now they have faith that this insurmountable odd is about to become theirs. And then as we skip down, it says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord. Joshua was called. And that calling didn't really make sense, and it seemed impossible, but God made the way, and he was honored in the process. See, Joshua learned a very important lesson here. When God wants you to do something, he knows you can't do it without him. This is where the rubber meets the road for for you and, and me to find out how much faith we actually have. Joshua was faithful, and God was honored. He didn't have to tear down the wall by hand. He didn't need more troops. He didn't need the finest weaponry. He just needed to be faithful. That's story number one. Story number two, it doesn't have armies. It doesn't have walls. Definitely doesn't have an angel with swords. Instead, it starts at a church camp in Lexington, Kentucky in the summer of 2006. It was senior high camp, and I was the worship leader for the second year in a row. Uh, The week was amazing. It really was. The kids were on fire. The worship times were unbelievable. It was was camp utopia. Um, Nothing could go wrong that week until David Kibler uttered those words. Understand, those words are words that would forever change the landscape of my life. Those words would take, the, take me to a place that I thought I'd never go, and I hoped I never would. Um, let's just say that Dave will take the place of the angel here, and he would deliver the message that changed my trajectory. See, the front porch of Bluegrass Christian Camp 
was a holy place. Can I get an amen from people who know what I'm talking about? Amen. There's some of you that know what I'm talking about. That front porch was holy. It was a, it was a place that was set apart. It's the place where Rob Harlemert and I would actually begin talking about ministry when he was only a college student. It was the place where community would happen, prayers would happen, um, and it's the place where David Kibler would look at me and say, I'm going to plant a church in Nicholasville, and you're going to be my worship minister. Now, was I like Joshua, and without hesitation I went? Heck no! I was, I was in the ministry of my dreams. I was my dream church. It was a rocking youth ministry. We had almost 150 kids in our youth ministry. I was making great money. Why would I move to Nicholasville, Kentucky and start over only to end up in the poorhouse? My first reaction to Dave's comment was actually full-on laughter. And I'm not talking like, <laughs> that's funny, I'm like, <laughs> and I pointed at him as I was laughing because I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard in my life. How are we going to survive? I mean, where are the people going to come from? I, None of it made any sense to me, and so I just kind of blew it off and forgot about it. But a few months later, I got the MySpace message from Dave letting me know he was serious. <laughs> yes, a MySpace message. For those of you who are under the age of 20, that is the ancient ancestor of Facebook. Um, us old people used to use that back in the day. Um, after lots of prayer, counseling from friends and family, and some deep soul-searching, I decided I would jump on board this crazy train that we were about to ride. Now, 13 years later, after that initial statement, just look around and look what God's done. Over 200 people meeting every week here. Missionaries in multiple countries on multiple continents. An orphanage in India. 50 people going on mission trips next year. An exciting children's ministry, a powerful youth ministry, amazing, talented worship leaders, over 80% of this church in community groups. Because of that conversation with Dave and those words, I've gotten to be part of one of the most exciting churches anyone could ever find. God called me. I thought the calling was crazy. And yet God made the way. And every week he's honored. I don't, need a, I don't need the security of good pay or a big building or lots of kids in my ministry. I just needed to be faithful. That's story number two. Now let's get to our story, story number three. I'd say you can make this more personal and you, you could call it your story. God is calling everyone in this room to ministry. I don't know if you realize that. God doesn't just call senior ministers and youth ministers and worship ministers to ministry. He calls all of his children to ministry. Every single one of us. It may not be to another country or to full-time church work, but God is calling every single one of us. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through, 22 through 24. In there we're going to read that Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We are called, all of us are called, to preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's a given. We should know that. 
Where is always a big question. Where am I to do that? Who am I to share Christ with? Well, the answer is simple, guys. I don't think you're going to like the answer, but it's everybody. God's not calling you to only share with certain people. He expects us to share with everyone. See, we've come to a point in America where that concept is just crazy. Like, we hear all the time, you just need to let people see your example, and they'll see Christ through you. Really? You guys believe that? I mean, if we're being truthful, we know that the name of Christ is powerful. We just sang it. But how powerful can that name be if it's never uttered? How much can people really know about Christ if his followers never talk about him? Guys, this is life and death stuff. This is eternity. It's a big deal. And, if we, can, and we, we just can't sit back and hope that people see Christ in us. We can't hope for it. We can't just hope that people see, he's a really nice guy. He must be a Christian. I want to ask him about Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. I know very few people that have ever gone up to somebody and said that. It's our job to share Christ. We need to bring him to other people. Guys, it's countercultural. It's not the norm today. It's not. And, and quite possibly, it might be the scariest thing you've ever done in your life. It seems almost foolish. We all have fears when it comes to ministering to people. And I don't know, it, you have comments like, I, I don't know enough about the Bible, I'm not a good communicator, I'm not a people person. Guys, this calling doesn't make sense and it seems impossible. Just like the other two stories, this just seems impossible, but if we continue reading in 1 Corinthians, we see how those comments don't matter. See, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, I love the fact he says that, because I feel like I get to be like a, like a brothers and sisters kind of preacher. Um, but think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I want to go ahead and invite the band to come back up. Your fears are made bold in God. Your weaknesses are going to make strengths. Your concerns change to confidence. See, if God wasn't God, and I want you to write this down, if God wasn't God, he wouldn't use us because we'd make him look bad. Now, that's not an insult to anybody. Instead, he uses us to prove that he is God. And in that process, we should find strength. We find purpose. We find out just how strong our faith is. And, to, and, and when God makes the way, he will be honored. In the last four verses of our scripture today, we read that God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. God is calling you to something right now. He's writing your story. And it's all of our jobs to follow through. I know you may be sitting in your seat right now going, I can't do this. This is crazy. And you know what my answer to that is? You're right. You can't. And it is crazy. You're 100% right. It's crazy 
without God. But when he calls us to do crazy things, he's going to follow through. And he's always going to be honored because of it. We don't need the latest discipleship trends, and we don't need to have the wisdom of a seminary professor, and we don't have to have the Bible memorized. Our safety might be at risk. Our livelihood may have to change. We may go broke, but faith removes the need for security because we know that in the midst of all this craziness and these odds that are against us, God will follow through, and he will be honored. We don't need to pack everything we own to make sure we're secure. Faith leads us into the wild. And we come out better on the other side. It gives us all the security we need, and it allows us to lean on that beautiful name of Jesus Christ because faith removes the need for security. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for today, and I want to thank you for being faithful. Yeah, there is no one as faithful as you, God. There is nobody that we can trust more than you. And Father, there are those of us in this room right now, you've asked us to do crazy things, and we're fighting it. And God, I just pray you tear down those walls, that this church becomes a church of crazy people that are just doing everything that you ask. It's amazing what you've done with this little church in the middle of a small town in central Kentucky. But God, I know you've got bigger plans. And so I pray, God, that we follow through with those plans, that we trust in you, we lean on you, and that we're willing to go to the hard places where the odds are stacked against us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we lift up him right now as we go into our time of worship. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name.